Good morning. Hmm. Uh, how many seniors are out here? Yeah? Uh, thank you for your uh, faithfulness uh, to this community. Um, it's funny, this is the last chapel of, the, of this year. Um, not the last chapel for most of us, but for, for many of you it is. And um, I feel myself a little a little misty about it, uh, but so grateful for you, uh, so grateful that you've been able to um, be a part of this community, that you've made it what it is, um, and that we've gotten to encounter Jesus together. Um, Leslie Hill just led her last chapel at Covenant College. Leslie, thank you for helping us. Um, <clears throat> yeah, what a privilege it is to be at a place where we actually get to come together to encounter Jesus. and. Um, to get to do that as brothers and sisters in Christ in community three times a week is, is really amazing. And I'm so, so grateful. Uh, this is the last chapel, so we are going to um, open God's Word together and chat a little bit. Um, I'd like to read from Philippians chapter 2. If you would, will you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us in it. Um, thank you that your words are the words of life. Please be with us this morning. Uh, speak through my words. Give us ears to hear your spirit. We pray in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Please. So I was talking to uh, I was talking to a person on campus the other day, and uh, he was telling me a story about Nick Barker. Um, I don't know if any of you are, are familiar with Nick Barker, but Nick was a, a, a professor here years ago. Um, uh, quite an eccentric fellow from what I hear. I wish I would have gotten to know him. But on his wall in his office, he had framed pictures of the seven sins. Um, but if you were to walk in, there were actually only six sins up there. Uh, the sin of pride was missing. And if you looked hard, hard enough, you'd find behind one of his chairs in his office a broken, shattered uh, frame and pride, and it just sat under one of his chairs. And I was thinking about that, and this is probably totally apocryphal, but I, I like the idea, at least, that it didn't just fall off the wall. 
I like the idea that, that one day in sort of a, uh, one of those moments where God reveals the depth of your sin, you just take that one and just chuck it on the ground and kick it under a chair. I don't know if that actually happened or not, but um, I kind of like that idea because uh, as I get older, um, the sin of pride um, is one of those sins that the Lord seems to be um, more regularly revealing to me, and it's so antithetical to who we are to be as Christians. So in Philippians 2, we start off with this really interesting, um, uh, so relatable thing where Paul is saying, look, brothers and sisters, if you have any encouragement from being a follower of Jesus, if you have any encouragement from your brothers and sisters, if you have any comfort in the love that you've received and shared and experienced, if you've had any fellowship that's not like the fellowship of the world, fellowship in the Spirit of God, fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ who share the same faith that you have, if you've experienced tenderness, if you've experienced a brother or sister loving you, expressing and holding out tenderness that isn't of the world, if you've had compassion, if you've known compassion from a brother or sister in Jesus, if you've known any of these things, want you to have the same heart and the same mind. In other words, want you as a community to, to think alike and to feel alike as your sort of core disposition. Um, Paul calls it being united in heart and mind. And then he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And, and this is such an interesting phrase, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And when I, when I think of that, and I think when we tend to, to think of that initially, um, we think, I, I tend to think at least of uh, trying to get ahead in the world. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't, don't try to um, get ahead. Don't try to increase your position. Don't try to, um, uh, at the expense of others, somehow, like, assert yourself and be grand out of selfish ambition. But, but I think what more sits at the heart of this idea of selfish ambition um, is how we view ourselves, especially in relation to others. So this idea, do nothing out of selfish ambition, I think the primary thing that we actually do out of selfish ambition is view ourselves how we want to. How many things are more powerful in our lives than how we view ourselves? How many things do we spend more time cultivating than how we view ourselves? And that is problematic. Um, how we view ourselves is oftentimes um, in relation to others. Now, I ashamedly, I have, I don't know, I was going to say lists. That's probably too extreme. There are people in the world that I don't like. There are people that I know and that I don't like. And I can probably give you valid reasons why I don't like them. I can give you perhaps character issues. I can tell you things that I've seen them do, maybe to others, maybe to me. Um, real actual behavior real valid reasons why I don't like them. If I were to like sort of build a case before you for my list of people that I don't like, most of you would come away going, 
Well, that's valid. That's fair. I, I actually understand that. That makes sense. But what that actually is at its very heart is exactly what Paul is telling us not to do. It's vain conceit. It's thinking of self in relation to the faults of others and judging them. Now, how many people, I mean, it's not just a list of people we don't like, but if you think about it, how many people in your own lives do you sort of look askance at, right? It's sort of the, their name comes up and it's the, right? Or it's the under the breath, like, you see them and you're like, oh, jerk, right? How, how many people, we all have that. And what that ultimately is really is selective comparison. We're not, I'm not comparing my worst against theirs, but I'm comparing their worst against nothing. So they can't win, right? But Paul says, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, view others above yourselves and look to their interests. Now, how do you do that? Right? Really, how do we do that when we are looking at others and looking at ourselves? And the way that we do it is, in our relationships with, with others, we need to have the mindset of Jesus. We need to think like Jesus thinks. How is that? Well, Scripture tells us. Jesus sees equality with God not as something to be grasped and used. Right? He, he's clear about his position. He knows that he is the second person in the Trinity. He knows that he is God, right? Yet, he humbles himself. And we might think, okay, therefore what we need to do is the same. We need to understand how great we are and humble ourselves. But we are not God. The way that we humble ourselves is not by recognizing how amazing we are and deciding to be lesser, the way we humble ourselves is by simply acknowledging our actual position before God and before others. Right? So think about that. Jesus knows that he is God, but he doesn't consider equality with God something to be used against people. Instead, he humbles himself, even to the point of death on a cross, to serve and love us. But we, when we view others, the way that we have the mind of Jesus is not that we acknowledge how amazing we are, is that we actually acknowledge who we really are before God and before man. We have to see ourselves in relation to Jesus and his grace. And when we do that, we see only sinners who rightly should be judged and cast out. We see brothers and sisters then not as people that we should judge Hold, hold grudges against, see ourselves above, but there's this now deep unity because we are all sinners before a mighty and holy God. And when we see others, then we can serve them. We see self clearly, we acknowledge our position, then we can see other people clearly. We see our sin, we see their sin. And we don't hold ourselves above any comparison then. Unity, no longer judgment. And it's interesting, as you begin to look at, at self, as you begin to look, and you, and you look closely, you begin to see so much cl more clearly. I have a, a good friend who's a painter. His name's Bruce Herman. Um, and Bruce is the, he, he's the chair of the art department at Gordon College and has been there for years and years. And Bruce has uh, gone through a number of different 
um, uh, sort of stylistic um, epics, if you will. And one of the most recent was he had never done portraiture. He'd never painted people's faces in, in detail. It was never something that he did. But a few years back, Bruce started painting portraits. And he was focusing on people's faces. And I talked to him about it, and he said one of the most interesting things uh, that sort of came about as a result of doing this is his idea of beauty shifted dramatically. Because as you get close and you take someone's face and you start painting it, and you're trying to capture the imago Dei, the, the image of God in that person, right? And you, you look at their eyes and the way their eyelashes come off of their eyes and their eyebrows, the way their nose is set, the way that their hairline is, the, the actual texture of their skin, their lips, the uniqueness. Bruce is like, everyone is so beautiful. It's unbelievable. And I was thinking, how incredible if we were to sort of just flip that a little bit and if we painted ourselves, like if, if we looked at ourselves that clearly, if we looked at ourselves, every texture, every fiber of our heart and our soul and began to see it so clearly, I think we'd have the exact same response. It wouldn't be, oh my, I'm so beautiful. It's, oh dear heavens, how beautiful are all my brothers and sisters. And pride just goes and comes crashing down. And we see others and we serve them because that is the mind and the heart of Jesus. Now, his mindset resulted, Scripture tells us, in him being exalted by the Father. And if we share and keep his commands, we will remain in his love. And then Paul goes on and he says, Therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I'm so, so grateful for that. Because when the Father allows us to see our sin, when the Father like, holds up before me my own pride, when, my, when the Father shows me by the power of the Spirit where I so deeply need grace and where I need to be transformed and conformed to the likeness of Jesus, hallelujah, because my salvation is being worked out and we need to work it out with fear and trembling because when we see the depth of our pride, when we see the depth of our sin, we see the magnitude of God's grace. And that is beautiful and it is truly awesome and it is scary and it is good. But this sanctification, this being conformed to the likeness of Jesus, this is literally the destruction of pride and the dying to self. This is working out our salvation. This is God being at work in us to fulfill his good purpose in Christ. Now, what's ultimately, I think, the most amazing about all of this, we can actually do this by virtue of the fact that the indwelling spirit of God lives in us and makes us able to actually fulfill and do these, to die to self, to see our sin and to see my pride and to see how I view others in relation to self, and then ask, Lord Jesus, please, please transform my heart. Please help me to see like you see. But what's so great here is that, that this is the heart of Jesus. That Jesus, fully man, fully God, who knows the depth of our sin, who really knows all the things that we don't ever really wanna look at closely, 
that we don't want anyone else to know, but that Jesus would look at us and love us, that he'd look at us and actually be willing to die for us. Um, that's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of our Savior. Uh, Stephanie and I have been reading a book. She's farther along than I am, but it's called Gentle and Lowly. It's a book about the heart of Jesus. Um, and it's just such a deep drink of water for a thirsty heart and a thirsty soul. Because sometimes we forget that the heart of Jesus is gentle and lowly. And that he comes at us not as judge, but he comes at us as friend and savior, king. But his heart is gentle and lowly. That his yoke is light. That he wants us to have life and to have it in him. So we start off with, with this idea of pride. And when we see pride, the antithesis is Jesus. The antithesis of all our sin is our Savior. In Matthew 11, Jesus is talking about that. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's my prayer for us for the rest of the semester, the rest of the summer, for all of our lives as though we work out our, our salvation in fear and trembling, that we will find rest for our souls in our Savior Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Father and King, Lord, you have adopted us. You have called us your own. Despite the depth of our sin, despite the brokenness of our being, um, you loved us while we were yet sinners. Lord, thank you for sending your son to die in our place, a death that we could never, a price that we could never pay. Thank you that by raising him from the dead and sending your Holy Spirit, you made us new and alive. Thank you for the life that we have in him. Father, will you please, um, as we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, you please hold us tightly in your hand. May we know your peace. May we know your love. Will you be with us by the power of your spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.